Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we now turn to the proclamation of Your Word, I pray that we allow Your Spirit to be our guide. My prayer is that we allow Him to guide us as Your Word convicts us of the truth that we need to follow. Thank You for the hope that we find in Christ. Thank You for Your good news of salvation so we can be saved and have a forever eternal relationship with you. It is in Christ's name that we pray because he makes all of this possible. Amen. Well, I would say we often consider Chick-fil-A to be the Lord's chicken. Have you ever considered Chick-fil-A to be the Lord's chicken? I mean, they are open on Sundays. They are a Christian organization. I think it's safe to say that most of us would assume Chick-fil-A is a Christian organization. They have proclaimed to be as much, so therefore we would say Chick-fil-A is the Lord's chicken. But have you ever considered Wendy's being the Lord's beef? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered that actually Wendy's is the Lord's beef? So if Chick-fil-A is the Lord's chicken, then Wendy's is the Lord's beef. But what's that old question from the 80s? Those three older ladies, the, yeah, where's the beef? So where is the beef? Where is the Lord's beef? Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, was actually heavily influenced by his grandmother. Thomas had a saying, and I'm going to read this saying. It actually comes from his book. He had this saying that said, Believers should be roll-up-your-shirt-sleeves Christians. Now, if you look at this photo that you're looking at right now of Dave Thomas, I would say that he's actually living out this saying. Here he is rolling up his sleeves, working the grill, flipping hamburger patties in one of his restaurants of the many that he had. It's amazing to see this, a CEO, the founder of the company, actually working in the kitchen, doing something that somebody would be paid maybe minimum wage to do. So I mentioned his book. His book is titled Well Done. And I just want to read this little excerpt from his book where this saying actually comes from. Thomas said this. He says, roll up your shirt sleeves. Christians see Christianity as faith in action. They still make the time to talk with God through prayer, study scripture with devotion, be super active in their church, and take their ministry to others to spread the good word. He went on to say they are anonymous people who may be doing even more good than all the well-known Christians in the world. So, where's the beef? I guess you could say it's right there in this statement. The beef is when we become roll-your-shirt-sleeves-up Christians. So not only did Thomas know hard work was necessary in the restaurant business, he knew it was necessary in the spiritual realm too. And that's what I see when I see this photo. 
A man who understands it takes a lot of hard work to run a business. Even if he's CEO, the original founder, all the way down to doing the most basic of tasks like flipping hamburger patties. It's hard work. But he also knew that it was hard work in the spiritual realm when we are claiming to be Christians, which is why he's saying we need to be roll up your shirt sleeves Christians. Brothers and sisters, really what we're getting at is this. Faith in works is like lightning and thunder. We anticipate thunder after we see lightning strike. No lightning, no thunder. It's just that simple. If we don't see lightning, we're not going to hear thunder. But if we see lightning, we anticipate the sound of thunder. So let's put this into our spirituality. Because really, if we're saying it's like lightning and thunder, faith and works work the same way. Therefore, making that type of faith the title of our sermon this morning. And that title is this, Dead Faith Part 2. Dead Faith Part 2. We continue in our series in James. We're in chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 26. And we must remember that last week we were encouraged to know that faith produces works. And this is the kind of faith actually that saves. In fact, this is the only type of faith that saves. The only type of faith that actually saves is the type of faith that produces works. Today we continue with that same notion. We continue with this symbiotic relationship between faith and works, which we have equated to now as being similar to lightning and thunder. James even includes some biblical illustrations for us this morning from the likes of Abraham and Rahab. So without saying any more, let's go ahead and get into God's Word and allow the Word to tell us exactly what it is that we're seeing here this morning. So James chapter 2, verses 18 through 26. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Amen. So let's go ahead and put these verses into one sentence. This is our main idea this morning. And that sentence looks just like this. Works reveal a faith justified through Jesus. That's what James is telling us this morning. Our works reveal a faith justified through Jesus. 
It's that simple. And as we go through these verses this morning, you will begin to realize how that makes sense. But we begin right here in verses 18 through 20. See, faith and works as it's already been established truly are like lightning and thunder. Ephesians 2 comes to mind for me, verses 8, 9, and 10. I want to read verses 8 and 9 first. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Very clearly, what this verse is telling us is that the faith that we have in Jesus and His work is a gift by God. We didn't earn this faith. This faith isn't ours. Grace means gift. God has gifted us the faith necessary to have in Jesus. And that's why he goes on in verse 9 to say, not by works so no one may boast. Basically, what he's saying is, if we could earn our salvation, the very first thing that we would do would be to brag and tell everybody, hey, look what I just did. I just saved myself. Now, verse 10, let me read this to you. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We don't work to earn our salvation, but because we understand the faith given to us, this gift, we now are prepared for God to do His work through us. See, that's the thunder. The faith that we received is the lightning. The thunder is the sound that alerts everybody to what the lightning has done. Works are the sound of faith. God produces works from our faith in order to reveal Himself to others through us. That's really how it works. We're doing works so people can see the Lord work through us so they know that they have a hope of eternal security. They have hope of a forever relationship with Jesus too someday. That's why we're here. That's why we haven't been, you know, raptured into heaven yet. Because the Lord is using us. And it's amazing to me, and especially when I sit behind the barber chair each week, people will say things to me, you know, a story maybe pertaining to a near life or death experience, and then they come back and say, well, I know the Lord had a purpose for me here. He didn't want to take me yet, but I know what they're alluding to. They're sitting there saying, there's all these things that the Lord wants me to go do now. But they say it with an air of everything having to do with something other than salvation. The only thing the Lord truly does at the end of the day through us, it doesn't matter what works He has us doing. The bottom line is, our works reveal salvation. Our job is to share the gospel. That's why the church is what it is here on earth now. Everything has to do with our life to come. And one thing I will stress time and time again is this. If you were ever unsure 
Whether or not the person who's preaching or teaching to you is actually preaching or teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the litmus test that you always run the teaching through is this. Does what I'm hearing have more to do with my life now or my life to come? It's just that simple. If it has more to do with your life here and now, then it's probably not the gospel. But if it has everything to do with your life to come, our hope, there's a really good chance that what you're hearing is the gospel of Jesus Christ, as long as it's by faith. As long as it's always by faith through God's grace. That faith He gifted us to have in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, in order to reveal Himself to others through us, we need to understand that God designed faith to be accompanied by works. And we get this confused all the time. Because faith cannot be heard or seen, but works can. Now, how do we know that faith can't be heard or seen? Is this an opinion? Was I eating breakfast sometime this week and just came up with this thought? No. God's Word tells us as much. Let me read to you Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Works are the vocal representation of faith that's silent. So, how can we be then these roll-up-our-shirt-sleeves Christians? How? What is it that we can do? See, I think there's really four things that we can really take an evaluation of in order to be the type of Christians that roll up their shirt-sleeves. First, we need to recognize inward work. The work that happens inwardly within us. We need to double-check and make sure that we are participating in the love that we receive from the Lord. The joy, the patience, the peace, the gentleness, the goodness, the kindness. That's inward work. Then we can move on to the outward work. Speak and act as though you're in the world, but not of the world. Even our speech is considered to be work. See, we think we have to go out into the community and go do this, that, and the third. But even our everyday speech. A great example of this this week. We just had a memorial service here on Thursday evening for a young man who lost his life very young. Very unexpectedly. And the impression I got from this service was he probably didn't have a lot of family in this area. I think it was just him and his mother. Didn't have a lot of friends in this area. I didn't see family show up to the service. I didn't see friends show up to the service. But you know who I saw show up to the service? People who work with the mother of the son. People who live in the same complex of the mother of the son. See, we have no idea. And I can tell you this right now. There is at least one person I can think of that was the catalyst to get these people to come, and it's probably because they just heard this person speak. Even the way in which we speak. 
So if we speak correct, we should act correct, and we should always be acting and speaking as though we live in this world, but we're not of this world. And then go back to what I said about the gospel, that litmus test. Does it have more to do with my life here and now or my eternal state to come? I don't get excited about my life here and now. That's not what excites me. What excites me is what has been promised through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, third, the third thing that we can do is this. We can participate in loving work. Because after all, what's the greatest commandment? Love God. And then we're also told to love others like we love ourselves. Are we loving others like we love ourselves? That's the kind of work that God is calling us to. Fourth, the type of work that, that we should all be participating in as Christians is active repentance. Not, I repented one time and gave my life to the Lord. No, we should be actively repenting each and every day. As we allow God's word and his spirit us of our sin, we turn from that sin and turn back towards God. Because that conviction isn't negative. That conviction is teaching us. That conviction is training us in how to be in a relationship with God. Because after all, he is ultimately holy. He is first and foremost holy. And then every moral attribute after that comes from his holiness. God does everything that he does perfectly because he's first and foremost holy. And us as sinners, we need to be trained and we need to learn how to be in a relationship with a holy God. And if we're still here and we're not there yet, the plan that God still has for me on this earth is to learn how to be in a relationship with him. See, we kind of alluded to this last week, but this hurricane that we just all experienced one way, shape, or form was a great lesson in people doing works but maybe not doing them for the Lord even though they do them under the banner of the Lord. You can go into the community, do great things, slap Jesus and his name on it, but have no intentions whatsoever to actually share the gospel. And that's the most frustrating thing for me. One of the most frustrating things for me is the illiteracy that we have, biblically speaking. It is heartbreaking at times. People who claim to be Christians but can't articulate the simple truths of the gospel. Our job as believers is to be in a relationship with the Lord. It is our job to know Him and He has given us his word, so we can. Now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of organizations who have come here and they have easily shared the gospel through the work that the Lord has done through them. Many. My whole point is, all that glitters is not necessarily gold. So as we observe verses 19 and 20, we recognize right here dead faith. And that's the reason why I'm saying what I'm saying, because brothers and sisters, believing in God and committing to Jesus are not the same thing. 
You can intellectually know who the Lord is, but not be committed to Jesus. Now, again, my opinion, breakfast, Tuesday morning, no, from the Bible. Matthew 8, 29 says, even the demons believe and shudder. But hold on a second. What does Matthew say here in verse 29? And behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? This is the demons speaking to Jesus, saying, what do you have to do with us? And then they go on to say, have you come here to torment us before the time? See, even the demons know that this is for a limited time only. Even the demons know that eternity is unlimited. The demons know that Jesus will return to torment them. And when he came from his virgin birth, they were questioning whether or not that was the time before the time. All of our time will be up someday. That's why the gospel resonates with me. Demons know God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one. They know God's word. They know it intellectually. They just aren't committed to Christ. Demons know God's word because, again, what did it say? Torment us before the time. Oh, yeah. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, they will definitely get the war tormenting behavior taken care of. Demons, however, are not committed to Jesus, and that's the one thing that we have to remember. And humans can be just the same. They can know who Jesus is, but not necessarily be committed to him. Again, Ephesians 2.10, what did it say? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Think about that. The same Jesus who actually created the heavens and the earth the same Jesus who showed up multiple times in the Old Testament in human form before he was actually born to the Virgin Mary. So yes, God destined us to complete good works. As it says, he prepared beforehand. And this is why James asked the question in verse 20. Because these works were prepared for us beforehand, he asked the question, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, faith apart from works is useless? Something that God had already established before we were even procreated. He's saying, faith apart from works is useless? Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? So really, we should look at it like this. A foolish person has no inward work. That's a foolish person. A foolish person has no outward work. A foolish person has no loving work. A foolish person refuses to participate in active repentance. Active repentance. Do you say, I'm sorry, or do you ask for forgiveness? Again, your speech. Go ahead. Go ahead. Leave here today. Go to work tomorrow. Make a mistake at work or commit a sinful act at work and try asking for forgiveness from your coworker and see how they respond. I can guarantee you this. They won't respond the same way if you just simply said, I'm sorry. We have an opportunity, even with small, 
seemingly mundane, everyday Monday conversations to share our faith, to allow this work that God has prepared beforehand for us to achieve because of what Christ has done. And this brings us to our first point this morning. Works speak volumes for an invisible and silent faith. Works speak volumes for an invisible and silent faith. See, the whole point that we're getting at, the whole point that's really being driven home right here by James is this. Our works don't earn our salvation. Our works are a byproduct of our salvation. We are saved first, produce works second. Again, our main idea states this. Works reveal a faith justified through Jesus. Now, I want all of us really quick to imagine that we're Abraham. Your whole life, your whole life, you've known that child sacrifice is a no-go with the Lord. You know that he would never allow that to happen. Yet you find yourself being asked by God to sacrifice your son. What Abraham believed determined how he behaved. Abraham is the father of our roll-up-your-shirt-sleeves Christianity. We know this is true from Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, where it says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. See, I just love the Bible's consistency. Heirs according to the promise. Everything is about hope. Everything is about our future eternal state. So in verses 21 through 24, again, Abraham asked to do what God forbids. He was asked to do what God actually forbids. 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now see, the word justified means this. Some of us may understand that term, but what that word means is this. To be justified means that we're made right with God. So go back with what we said about being holy. We are in training, we are learning how to be in a forever eternal relationship with a holy, perfect God. But because of the work of Jesus, we can start that process because our faith in what Jesus has done has justified us with God. It has qualified us. It has made us right with God in order to start that relationship here and now. Now, the account of Abraham comes from Genesis 22. I just want to read a few verses from this account. It says, God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. See, upon arriving in the land of Moriah, Isaac made an observation. So next, we jump to verse 7 where it says, And Isaac said to his father, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, and mark these words, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. That one line right there, we recognize both Abraham's faith and his work. 
Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God eventually did provide a ram. At the 11th hour, a ram had its horns caught in a thicket, and that ended up becoming the burnt offering. Because he knows something, I want to ask this question. Why would Abraham have such faith? Why? He knows that God would never ask, had never asked, actually had forbid anyone to sacrifice another human, yet he's being asked to sacrifice his own son. So if that's the case, how could Abraham have such faith? I would argue it's for this reason. It's because he himself knew what it was like to have dead faith. Abraham's faith that we see here in Genesis 22 stem from the dead faith he had prior to. Again, not my opinion. You'll hear me say this as well. I don't trust myself. And this is coming from an opinionated person. With an opinionated personality, somebody chuckled. But it's true. I don't trust myself. How about when God promised a son, that same son Isaac? How about when he promised Abraham that son through Sarah? Was Abraham's faith dead? Oh, that's right. Yeah, he took Hagar, didn't he? Sarah's slave to have Ishmael. Because Sarah just remained barren too long, so he had to have that son. How about when Abraham lied to Abelamech and said Sarah was his sister? Because he was afraid that Abelamech would kill him. That's dead faith. Did we hear him say things like, you know, God will provide. Sarah's been barren all these years, but God will provide. He didn't say that. He took matters into his own hands. And that's where I go back and say, just because somebody traveled down to southwest Florida to aid in uh, recovery from a natural disaster doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it because God prepared those works beforehand. But maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. God justified Abraham by faith. Then he outwardly acted upon that same faith. So I guess you could say in this case, for Abraham, the third time was the charm. I think all of us can relate to that, can't we? I think every one of us here should be able to relate to dead faith, having dead faith. Even Father Abraham, it's documented in Scripture that he had dead faith himself at one point. But that dead faith taught him. That dead faith edified him to the point to where he was asked to do something. In my opinion, that was far more challenging 
than waiting on a son to be born. Far more challenging than worrying about whether or not somebody was going to kill him in order to take his wife as their own wife. He was being asked to sacrifice his own son. And when he got to that point, what did he say? Because he'd already gone through this experience, he said, God will provide. Maybe you've already had your God will provide moment. And maybe you've been growing Maybe the Lord has been training you since then. Maybe you haven't. Regardless of whether you have or you haven't, we can find great encouragement that even Father Abraham had to have the experience of dead faith to get to the point where he would say, God will provide. Abraham's faith is our faith. We have faith in God's work that's been manifested through Jesus. And in verses 25 and 26, the same is true of Rahab the prostitute. She too was justified. She too was made right with the Lord by her works. So as Joe joins me and we close out this morning, I want to read this quote from J. Vernon McGee. McGee writes this, he says, That woman living there in the city of Jericho jeopardized her life by turning her back on her old life and on her own people. What was to gain to her became loss. She did not say to the Israelite spies, I'll just stand on the sidelines when you enter the city and sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. She did not just say, Jesus saves and keeps and satisfies. She did not say, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. She said to them, I'm going to do something. I will hide you because I believe God is going to give the people of Israel this land. We have been hearing about you for 40 years and I believe God. My friend, she believed God and she became involved. She was justified before God by her faith, by faith that harlot Rahab perished not with them that did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. However, before her own people and before the Israelites, she was justified by works. This is why we recognize that symbiotic relationship between faith and works. And as we end with verse 26, brothers and sisters, faith and works go together like, oh, that's right, lightning and thunder. We anticipate thunder, after lightning flashes. No lightning, no thunder. It's that simple. Therefore, no faith, no works, no justification. And that we arrive now at our second and final point, which states, Christians are justified by their works of faith. People know that we're saved because of the work the Lord does through us. Again, our first point said this, works speak volumes for an invisible and silent faith. And ultimately, what we're saying about all these verses this morning is this, works reveal a faith justified through Jesus. Works reveal a faith that's been justified through Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer is to be a church that's used 
as you work through us. Lord, help us share our faith with others. Allow us to participate in the discipleship that happens after having shared our faith when someone accepts you as their Lord and Savior. Continue to position us where you have us to be able to do all of that. And we pray what we pray in the name of Jesus because it is his work that has made all of this possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.